My name is nobody. I can't tell you my last name. I can't tell you where I live, but I can tell you that this is The Axe Files, the show where a handful of weirdos re-reread every single Animorphs book in order. And I'm joined, as always, by the most wanted criminal this side of the Andalite homeworld, it's Vivian. Did you say re-reread intentionally, or was that an accident? It's fine, I'll explain later. <laughs> uh, we're also joined by the most elegant street on Earth, it's Kate. Hi! <sighs> hey, y'all. So here's the sitch. I came back from the future, but then I went back a forward a little bit, so if I did this right, y'all shouldn't have done this episode yet. Uh, everything went wrong, so... <laughs> again. <laughs> again? What do you mean again? Well, from last week. Oh no, did you go back again too? Yeah, I I also <laughs> went back in for like, so I actually have done this episode. <sighs> um, yeah, so it, it seems like we all had the same idea, and we didn't really communicate with each other about it, so... <laughs> Yeah, so after last episode, my plan was, like, I was going to go back and catch it before y'all did, so y'all two wouldn't have to do this work again, and it would just be me. But apparently, ah, well, here we are, a bunch of goobers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, we really got to communicate better on this. Next time we have a time travel, like, disaster, we got to, you know, yeah, figure definitely. things out. I think, I think really all of us traveling back in time really does defeat the purpose, and also, like, traveling back in time to... Uh, you know, before the episode is created, or you know, we we, we can't tell each other, you know. So yeah, exactly. Just in the future, communicate better communication. That should be our goal. Yes, one hundred percent. I like how we're still sticking to the floor <laughs> as opposed to uh, the episode recording just fucked up. <laughs> what? Why would that doesn't? No. When well, the episode the messes are... up, we go back in time to fix it. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's why we went back in time, is the episode recording fucked up. So we went back in time. So I went back in time in order to tell y'all, but it turns out that y'all had also gone back in time in order to tell us, and then we did it again. So, yep. <sighs> so now we just have to re-record this in the next episode. So let's let's go ahead and start. <laughs> uh, Alright, well... Uh, my chapter today, I'm going to go ahead and give us the start. Uh, we open in chapter 34 with Marco. I have titled this chapter, My Space Captain's a Monkey. Um, Marco has been captured by the Valique. Uh, he really doesn't know what's going on, but he's panicking, by which I mean crying, despite being a gorilla. I didn't know gorillas did that. Cool. Good to know. Then again, I don't know if I can trust the animal facts in this series. So, um... <laughs> uh, yeah, gorillas may cry out as vocalizations, but they don't actually produce tears like humans do when we cry. <laughs> well, I, I guess I was right to be suspicious. Um... <laughs> uh, the Valik takes Marco up to the spaceship, and he didn't really know what he was doing, but... When the dust clears, he can look out, and he talks a lot about Star Trek here, which is... Hence the space captain crack. Uh, he mentions not being able to see Data or Sulu, just a bunch of taxons and Hork-Bajir pointing weapons at him. And, um, then also there's an empty box there, and, uh, just in front of the empty box is a dead Hork-Bajir, so wonder what happened there. And of course, Visser 3 is here, um, the dust monster is just kind of hovering there above them, chilling, and then Marco is here sitting here as a gorilla. Uh, Visser 3 yells at him to stop being that stupid animal form, and Marco just straight up, like, he doesn't say anything. I He's not exactly pretending to be a gorilla, but he's kind of pretending to be a gorilla. And while he's doing that, um, 
Visser 3 starts yelling, and he, he needs somebody to bring in the bioscanners, because the Andalite axe didn't disappear, he's just morphed something small, so they need to find him. Which, um, Marco puts together, he realizes that this means Axe is still alive, and that he had escaped, and that it's his fault this hork died. So, uh, rad. But then he gets a, like, the, the deduction is kind of pointless, because within a second of this, he gets a thought speech message from Axe, who informs him that, uh, he morphed into a flea, and, uh, you know, this is good, because then maybe Axe can get away. Uh, Marco is a gorilla, so that's not happening. Uh, the thing is, though, is that Axe had a plan, because he, as a flea, went to the safest place he could possibly be, which is sitting on Visser 3. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, Visser 3 again says to, quote, morph out of that ludicrous shape, because I guess he just really doesn't like gorillas, but, um... Axe informs Marco that he really shouldn't morph, actually, because that would mess with the plan. But there will be a console nearby, and uh, probably a taxon looking for it, and the taxon's going to be using a small, like, square pad thing by pressing its claws against it. So, basically, this is, uh... <laughs> so, basically, this is, uh, like a computer interface, and what Axe wants is to for Marco to get to one and put his hand on it and then think at it, because that's how uh, your computers work. It's all mm. thought-speech technology, which I assume means that they stole it from the Andalites, because that's mm. kind of how they do. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, like, the Yerks don't really make anything. <laughs> yeah. And in the middle of explaining this, he does actually get a little distracted, because he wants to start talking about how it actually works, and the scientific principles behind this technology, which, like... I don't even know. <laughs> uh, we we knew Axe was a science guy, but this is a little ridiculous. Also, doesn't doesn't uh okay no I, again time travel. I have a problem with this, but time travel. I can't I can't mention it, or else we'll cause uh temporal paradoxes. So <laughs> I'm I'm I'm, uh, I'm bowed by the uh the, the temporal prime directive. Yeah, you, you, Alas. you know, everybody will hear that if in the next couple of weeks anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> we um we're not very good at this time travel thing, are we? <laughs> no, typically you don't just also announce, "Hello, I am a time traveler." You will find out information in the future. <laughs> Well, as per the Temporal Prime Directive, you're allowed to tell people that you're a time traveler. You just can't, like, give them anything important. <laughs> yeah. Mm. I guess I'm thinking along the, more along the lines of Back to the Future time travel, where it's like, money, we have to not change anything. <laughs> wouldn't wouldn't um, telling people that you're a time traveler give people the important information that there will be time travel? Yeah, you know that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Especially because, like, oh man, even when Doc tells, like, his future wife and all, he's like, I'm from 1985, and it's like, oh boy, so, I mean, yeah, Clara will be dead by then, but in a th in 100 years, there'll be time travel. <laughs> well, I mean, the, the, the Temporal Prime Directive is kind of ill-defined as compared to the Standard Prime Directive, because it's, like, only a thing that shows up sometimes, so it twists and bends to the will of whoever's time traveling <laughs> but generally you are allowed to tell people you time traveled if they are of a sufficiently advanced um i guess technology level because then they might be able to help you get home so 
think I think really at the end of the day, what a lot of people still don't know can understand is maybe you should just not travel through time because every time you do it, you fuck something up. <laughs> no, you say that, but we just did it two weeks in a row. <laughs> yeah. Also, you gotta be able to travel through time so that you can stop other people who can travel through time from fucking things up. Exactly. Isn't that just basically being time cops, <laughs> though? Uh, that that's that's well, that's like we're talking about the temporal prime directive. That's from Star Trek. That's yeah. like literally what they are. Yeah. Mm. But also, you need time cops because if you don't have time cops, sometimes a Romulan goes back and tries to blow up your bridge. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I see. We we recently watched the same episode. <laughs> <sighs> At any rate, um, <clears throat> X sort of does this, like, sinister chuckle, by which I mean he says the words, ha ha ha. He doesn't laugh. He <laughs> physically says the, that. Okay. Um, <laughs> and uh, he has a plan. He's going to do something evil, smirk. And um, since the Valik hunts morph energy, his plan is to give it some morph energy to hunt. Visitor 3 is still, like, staring at Marco standing there as a gorilla and just saying to his face, Why are you afraid to demorph and why won't you speak? The other Endolite spoke. Why don't you, like, what's your deal? Are you just a real gorilla? What's, I don't understand. <laughs> and then the, uh, the Valique starts doing its thing. It starts spinning and getting all tornado-y and with the blades and the ropes and they swing down and grab Visser 3. <laughs> <laughs> because Axe, uh, as a flea, is very, very, very slowly starting to demorph, which means there's morphing energy coming off of the viscer, so it's a target. Um, the Hork-Bajir all jump forward to try and save the viscer from the dust creature, but the first one who jumps in uh, has his arm chopped off, and Axe didn't do it this time. Uh, I guess that's a ding for the Valik. Um, <laughs> I mean, they just said arm chopped off. We don't give full dings to Axe whenever he chopped off a person's That's arm. That's true, yeah. <laughs> if we did, Axe but, would at least be in second place by this point. That's fair. Um, but while this is happening, Marco takes advantage of the distraction to headbutt at full speed a hork who is in between him and a console, so... This hork falls back, lands on a taxon, the taxon collapses, probably gets punctured because the hork just landed on it. Uh, Marco punches its second taxon, and then uh, Visser 3 in the cloud is screaming for water, which Marco doesn't really know what that's about, because it's weird that he's thirsty at a time like this. But he does what Axe wanted and opens the hatch, and um, he can kind of see a little bit through the storm of the dust monster, but Marco can see stars outside, and it's like, he he assumes that the plan was to open the bridge up to the vacuum of space, which is a bad plan, but at least it would kill Visser 3, he guesses. But actually, he realizes they're not getting sucked out, because there's a cloud above us. They're super high up, but they are in atmosphere. And, um, Visser 3 yells that they're trying to escape, and they need to do something, and uh, as the chapter ends, six hork are advancing on Marco, which, if you remember the last book we read, uh, eight hork just took out basically all of the Animorphs simultaneously, so he's going to have a bad time. Um, <laughs> uh... <laughs> Chapter 35 is an X chapter, which I have titled, It's Going Down, I'm Yelling Timber. Um, X slowly morphing out of uh, Flea Morph 
gets... But he hears that Marco has the hatch open, so he reverses Morph. He goes back into being a flea. He He's just keeping the Valique on the Visser as long as he possibly can. And then he just sort of jumps into the Valique, which, uh... This is where he realizes that it is, in fact, not a creature. It's swirling around in this dust storm. He discovers that it's a bunch of tiny, tiny little creatures. He describes it as a creature my own size, but with a hundred minuscule wings that beat the air. And frankly, I'm concerned about the placement of a hundred wings on something the size yeah. of a flea, but... It's like, it's like a biblically accurate angel, but really shrunk down. <laughs> <laughs> it's I, yeah, yeah. It, it seems like it seems like a hundred wings is cilia. I think that's cilia. What you're talking about? Um, <laughs> well, I mean, as we've established at multiple points, K. Applegate doesn't actually really know animal biology. <laughs> well, I mean, at least here we have the excuse that Axe definitely doesn't know animal biology. And also so, that it's a space monster. The, <laughs> yeah. the smallest group of flying insects on Earth are the fairy flies. They're about half to a full millimeter long. Fleas are... Uh, let's see. Fleas are about one to three millimeters. So... These things would be bigger than fairy flies. The 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 thing is that fairy flies have really interesting wings because they're not like because at that level, like at that size, um air takes on an almost fluid sort of quality to it. They more swim than they do like huh. uh fly. And because of that, their wings look like this. And uh, you can find this on Wikipedia if you're listening, but <laughs> they have these kind of weird, like long spoon shaped things. And then just like hairs coming off. So I don't know, maybe a hundred wings <laughs> would like work if they were small enough. <laughs> Interesting. Well, it, yeah, if they're the size of a flea, they would have to be pretty tiny to have a hundred wings also. So I've, I assume the body is a lot smaller than the flea is. Yeah, um, yeah, probably. Also, fairy flies are smaller than fleas. They're super small. They're also, interestingly, uh, endoparasitoids on uh, other insects' eggs. In other words, they, they lay their eggs inside of other insects' oh, eggs. Oh, that's fucked. <laughs> yeah. Why is nature uh, fucked? Why is nature so fucked? Because <laughs> uh, everything is just completely uh, driven to adapt for its own reproduction, so... Any kind of fucked up shit they can do to make that happen, they're gonna do. Because we have more species on Earth than any other known planet in the galaxy, so it has to get weird. <laughs> and that that creates competition, which creates it creates competition, which creates more selective pressure, which creates more speciation, which creates more competition, which creates more selective pressure, until you reach a plateau. As I recall, didn't Axe say that there are only like a hundred species of animals on he, his planet? He did, though? yeah. Yeah, I have no fucking clue how that's supposed to work. It seems <laughs> terrible. There's, there's one kind of fish and one kind of know, chicken. <laughs> like a, just extremely low biodiversity. Like if one species goes extinct, then you're fucked. Yep. Uh... This is why he was so angry in book four when he figured out that the the viscer had been to the Andalite moon. Um. <laughs> <laughs> it's like there's only like eight more of those in captivity. We're trying. We've been trying to breed them more. You can't just take one. We're gonna fuck everything up with our conservation efforts. Yeah. 
But yes, uh, the other thing that this creature has alongside a hundred wings are antennae that were, quote, covered in tiny upturned bowls like the dishes of primitive human telescopes. I don't understand these things at all. I don't get it. <laughs> it's just got a little radar dishes. <laughs> and finally, they have like two long little whiskers, filaments like strands of wire. And X assumes that these filaments are how the creatures feed by channeling the life energy of whatever they're drawing, whatever they're eating down the wires. The Velik is not, in fact, one creature. It is a swarm of billions, but somehow they can come together to create this destructive gnashing teeth and slicing blades thing. I don't really understand how that works, because even if you have a billion insects together, they don't form solid blades, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But whatever. No, it's, it's, uh, it's just literally wishy-washy. Just, you just need, like, uh, 10,000 of them to be a big wishy-washy. I mean, it's more than 10,000 if they're that small. That's <laughs> <Yeah>, true. <laughs> but you know what I mean. <laughs> uh, but yeah, um, so Axe as a flea uses his legs to push this singular Valik away. He he says Valik as a singular, which implies the whole thing, but he's specifically just talking about this one that he's holding onto. And um, he's trying to get out of the Valik, and then, uh, like, water starts dropping, and it's hitting the dust creatures and knocking them out of the air. And uh, he, he realizes that the Yurks turned on a water hose, and that's how they control the Valik, is they just wet it down because it can't fly when it's wet because it's too heavy. Um, and uh, so on the floor now, surrounded by water and, like, stuck Valik bugs... He asks for Marco to stamp his feet because he needs to find him, so he needs the vibration. So Marco's, like, panicking because of the six hork bajir, but he does it. And then uh, Axe gets to him, he gets on him, and through the open hatch, and um, they are out of the ship. That's a good thing. That's great. They're not on the ship anymore. But also, uh, they're two miles up in the air and dropping. So... <laughs> <sighs> I also, I also <laughs> want to just point out one thing that I do remembered because like X has to have him like have Marco stomp on the ground to find out where he is, but we've also mm -hmm. seen X before be able to just morph like his tail back into existence to just knock a dude out. I can just do that for nice talk so he could look around. <laughs> uh, he's not good enough. <laughs> Theoretically, someone who is good at morphing can control the order in which you demorph, but he's not. Yeah, straight on. Cassie's he's, he's the only Cassie. one who has any <laughs> chance of doing that in this group. Mm, yeah, yeah. It's just funny that he can do it with his tail, but not apparently any other part of him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, uh, chapter thirty-six is a Rachel chapter, which I have titled "It's All Coming Back to Me." Um, so y'all remember a couple chapters ago when Marco crashed the truck and fell out? Well, apparently, what he crashed the truck into was Rachel. Um. <laughs> He fully slammed into Elephant Rachel and broke her elephant leg, and she just has to lay down. She doesn't even lay down. She falls over. Have you ever seen an elephant fall over? Because it's not easy to make that happen. And <laughs> No, it's, it's like watching the AT-ATs from uh, Empire Strikes Back fall over. <laughs> I had to imagine. Yeah, but... just, it just slumps forward. <laughs> the thing is, though, is, and I'm not joking about this, when she falls over, she hits her head on the concrete of the road she's standing on, and that brings her memories back. It's fully cartoon rules. It like <laughs> uh, yeah, she hits her head and the memories come back. 
Well, she had to uh-huh. to start the uh, the amnesia. So yeah, yeah. It makes mm-hmm. sense to just do that again. Just keep having yeah. that trauma till you get there. Bonk. And then I'm just gonna skip the next half a page because it's just Rachel saying things from the earlier parts of the book that she remembers now. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Cassie wakes her out of her reverie by like calling her name through thought speech and. She's squirrel mode again, and she talks a little bit about how it took Marco, and she didn't do anything, and she doesn't know what's happening, and she feels guilty, and Rachel says that she remembers Marco, which, there you go, uh, there's bug fighters here, Rachel tells us what a bug fighter is, as though we haven't seen that already, um, (laughs) (laughs) but she has to morph back to human, and Cassie agrees to as well, because the Valik is gone for now, and it's like, eh, they're probably fine. Cassie feels guilty, because she should have started morphing while the Dust Beast was here. She could have, like, drawn it away from Marco, but she was scared, and... Rachel reassures her, like, you obviously, yes, I was also scared, and you are way smaller than I am, so... <sighs> also, they know she... that none of their morphs can outrun this thing, so really, you couldn't draw it away from him for long, Cassie. Yeah, mm-hmm. That's... That is kind of a flaw in their plan, really. They're... they're... It's not going to get tired. <sighs> I mean, maybe eventually, but... Visitor 3 told Axe it doesn't tire. Well, Visitor 3 is a liar. <laughs> <laughs> and a dumbass. Just... A swarm of insects that small absolutely needs a consistent energy source. There's no way it can keep going indefinitely. <laughs> <laughs> it gets, it gets, it gets uh... its uh, treat rewards when it catches one. When it Space catches heat. one, if they keep it running yeah, around it, all day, it, it will it eventually caught, die. It caught two, <laughs> technically, but only got treats for one. So really, the the Valique should be complaining to HR about that. <laughs> well, I got a third one, so... The Valique is not a sentient creature capable of complaining to HR. <laughs> also, Yurks don't have HR. Oh yeah, well... well may- maybe the Yurks have HR, but Visser 3's Yurks don't. <laughs> They probably do have a human resources department, but it's very <laughs> different than yeah. HR. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's called human resources for a reason. It's not like you're there to help you. Or is it different? <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> <sighs> Alright. Um, so back human now, Rachel asks why the Dust Beast didn't attack them, and Cassie just... She she starts Rachel's word for it is wailing about how it it's carrying Mark away away and maybe killing him and she should have, but Rachel just sort of interrupts her and sort of brings her back to reality. She doesn't physically slap her, but it's that sort of scene in an action movie, and uh, you know they have bigger things to worry about. And Rachel doesn't actually remember if they can morph again so fast, so she has to ask that. And yeah, of course they can. So. Cassie says that uh, we've both been owls, so let's be owls, great horned owls, and Rachel didn't actually remember that, so I guess her memories aren't all the way back, but she, now that she knows she can be an owl, she can sort of feel that she can be an owl. Uh, so the bug fighters come closer, they're getting here, and the police sirens are coming in, and Rachel assumes that those are probably controllers, because, what, yeah, I mean, bug fighters. Um, 
And by the time she finishes thinking about that, uh, they're owls. So the two of them take off, and uh, something drops out of the bug fighter. It's a hork Rachel knows it's a hork so she is getting a little better. And they are just, like, straight dropping out of these bug fighters. So I don't know how high they're flying, but... Uh... <laughs> <sighs> Nope, no parachutes. Yeah, no, it's like whenever the the Covenant ships show up and you see a bunch of elites dump out from, like, 30 feet up. <laughs> yeah. And uh, as they're flying, Rachel and Cassie see that one of the hork is dropping directly above them, which doesn't really seem like a problem to me, because you just go a little bit horizontal, you are a bird. But either way, there's a sort of an action moment here as they have to escape, and Rachel has to dive and break this hork Dive upwards, I guess. I don't know. And <laughs> You don't dive upwards. That's just ascending. Dives <laughs> are usually down. Uh, listen, it's space stuff. I don't know. <laughs> uh, also, they're birds. Yes. They don't have to fly directly at these guys. They could fly upwards to just go away. <laughs> No, space isn't 360 degrees when you're a bird. You can only go up and down. <laughs> but yeah, so Rachel's getting ready to go after this hork and then out of nowhere, a tiger just flies through the air and takes this thing out. So they're just sort of flying at nothing. Um, Rachel has to pull out of her semi-dive upwards dive <laughs> because Jake as a tiger has just taken this hork out of her path and uh, reorienting herself uh, they gotta get out of here and Jake asks where Marco is at the end of this chapter so my final chapter for this episode is uh, another Marco chapter, chapter 37 and um, <sighs> I don't have a good title for it so I'm just gonna go with skydiving without a parachute um Marco mentions that he doesn't believe that in the entire history of the planet Earth, he doesn't think any gorilla has ever been two miles up in the air, so this is a first for the entire planet. Um, I'm pretty sure that they, like, take gorillas to other continents on planes and stuff, so... (laughs) Do they? I, I, listen, if you're gonna fly, like, if you're gonna transport an animal from, like, a zoo on one continent to a zoo on the other, which happens. I mean, presumably that happened. Presumably we we got the gorillas we have in North America here somehow. They don't come from this continent, but I could go, like, just maybe 20, like 20 miles away to a zoo and see a gorilla. So presumably they got here somehow. I don't think it was by ship. I'm going to be honest. I thought it was by ship. I thought that was a more con- uh, comfortable way I for know. animals to travel. I know that they do fly, like, animals, like, hold on, gorilla fly like, in plane. I did, I was like, also looking for gorilla skydiving, but it's something that happens. I know you definitely fly smaller animals. If it's something that can be put mm. in a carrier, that, that goes on planes. But for something as big uh, as a gorilla, inter- I just thought that they would be on ships. I'm googling intercontinental gorilla trip. <laughs> now pandas, pandas do go on planes, but <laughs> that's a weird situation. <laughs> I'm just finding like names of companies called gorilla transport. For yeah, I, I think I think they also I think they also do skydiving stuff because I was looking for a skydiving gorilla and I just found a bunch of pictures of regular people skydiving. <laughs> 
Also, I was uh, when you said that they do put pandas on uh, like planes. I was just imagining a panda having to like choose from like the meal menu on an international flight, and it's just like three different kinds of bamboo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Excellent choice, sir. I will. <laughs> you want the bamboo? <laughs> ah, yes. So I have found a case on the BBC of a gorilla being transported by plane. Okay, uh, fine. <laughs> yeah, because they're being transported overseas. So DHL Express was that. Uh, DHL is a shipping company. They they do mostly uh, mm. land bound packages. That is just a panda sitting in a plane uh, seat, huh? Yep. They're mentioning aircraft engineers here. So yeah, they're they're DHL is like a UPS. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, they they shipped this gorilla overseas to the London Zoo <laughs> uh, on a pl- on a flight. From from Tenerife, I don't know where that is, but yeah. So gorillas have flown before, <laughs> but had they flown two uh, miles in the air before? How, what's the average height of a plane flying? Uh, I definitely. Well, I don't know. Uh, definitely, like definitely above two miles. I'm pretty sure. Uh, well, um, let's see. A commercial plane flies at about. 40,000 feet. Um, yeah, 33 to 42,000. That's definitely, yeah. Uh, and I'm a, I'm an American yeah, that, that... using the, the, the metric mm-hmm. system, like it's the imperial system all the time. I don't know how much, that's... how many feet there is in a mile, but there's 5,280, so that's definitely more than two miles. That's about <laughs> seven miles, yeah. Yeah, so we're definitely more than two miles. Gorillas have flown pretty high before. But counterpoint, counterpoint, did, did it have a date of when this gorilla was flying in this plane? <laughs> from what you just saw, I, I don't, I don't care enough about this to find out. Because if it's after the early '90s, then Marco would still be the first. Again, again, I don't care enough about this to find out. Presumably, they've been transporting gorillas on planes for as long as they could transport gorillas on planes. That's enough for me. <laughs> okay. Um. So they are falling. They're falling. Marco is screaming in his head because obviously he's screaming in his head because he's falling out of the sky. Uh, Axe asks why he's screaming on account of it hurts his head, and Axe Marco insists that they're gonna die, and Axe is just weirdly calm about this and insists that like it's fine. Don't worry about it. We're not going to die. Don't be an idiot. And uh, Marco's counterpoint to this is that, like, okay, yeah, well, all right, you're a flea. Gravity affects you differently because you're tiny. You'll bounce. It's fine. I'm a gorilla. That's not going to happen. And uh, Axe just points out that, dude, you're morphing to a bird. Come on. (laughs) And uh, he asks if there's time to do that, but uh, they decide that probably they should hurry. And then Axe demorphs out into Andalite as Marco becomes human. I don't really know why. I feel like it would be safer for Axe to just stay a flea, but whatever. And um, the both of them are now just dropping in their natural forms as they scream. Axe is now screaming also because as a flea, he couldn't see what was happening, but he sure can now. And then they both start morphing birds. Uh, by the time they start morphing birds, Marco can already see individual cars and the mall parking lot and the people painting stripes in the mall. So that's not enough time to morph based on the way morphing normally yeah. works. But uh, he does it. He he morphs bird and uh, it's he's going too slow and he can see individual people in the parking lot and he's not a bird yet and the ground is coming. And then um, 
right as he begins to see the eyes of the people down there. Um, he finishes his bird morph, so he snaps out his wings, and... <sighs> the wind snapped my wings back, straining every muscle, and I blew at 90 miles an hour, just inches off the freshly painted blacktop. Uh, I don't care if you are a bird. If you have dropped two miles and are mm -hmm. now within inches of blacktop, you can't redirect that much momentum. That's not... <laughs> Clearly you haven't played Tears of the Kingdom. You can fall in water and be fine or use your paraglider even when you're jumping from the Sky Islands. It's totally fine. Don't worry about all the strain on the, li on the arms. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, it just... That's not... This isn't good enough, but that's the end of my chapters as uh, Axe and Marco fly away as they swear never to ever, ever, ever do that again. And I don't know why not, because it seems like a lot of fun if you are, <laughs> like, conscious of what you are doing and not just panicking the first ten minutes. I mean, like, dive out of a plane and then instead of just pulling a parachute, morph to bird, that sounds awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I guess the major issue is like whether or not you start like spinning out of control during mid morph, and then it's like trying to rewrite yourself as a bird. Well, it might be too much deforce sure on could... the bird wings or something. Well, I mean, I'm sure you could like work that out with the proper technique. Uh, it is your chapter, Vivian. Yep. I've only got three because this book is, doesn't have as many, but uh, we go into chapter 38, which is a Jake chapter, which I called "Reports of My Death Have Been Greatly Exaggerated." And we cut back to where Jake, Cassie, and Rachel basically just shrug and are like, I guess we have to head home since we can't do much else at the moment. Because Axe is probably dead, Mark is probably dead, Tobias has just apparently been asleep all this time. So I was like, eh, I guess, what else do we do? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Rachel has to stay over at Cassie's place and she's not only had to explain herself to her mom, but also spending time with Cassie might help jog her memory for the last bits that haven't fully returned to her yet. Because, like, oh, yeah, remember, like, she's not been, she's supposed to be out of town, <laughs> but she's not. <laughs> yeah, Jake uh, basically gets uh. home around midnight, and he's just instantly grounded, because, you know, he's been out late, and kids don't have phones in this day and age, so he couldn't tell his parents. He didn't tell anybody. And... Yep. <laughs> he didn't tell his parents, like, hey, by the way, I'm going to go uh, steal Cassie's truck with my friends, bye! <laughs> like, huh? Uh, kids these days. But, yeah, uh... His punishments are pretty tame of him being like, oh no, I have to take out the trash and do the dishes and no TV? That, that's just what modern adults are like. <laughs> nobody nobody has cable anymore, and also you have to live by, like, do your own stuff. <laughs> so, oh, come yeah. on, we all have streaming services. I don't. It's goddamn super, I it's don't. super TV. <laughs> I don't favor a single one. <laughs> I mean... Smirk yeah. face, pirate fly. I mean... Mm -hmm. Like, you still watch stuff. Yeah. I mean, yes, obviously. <laughs> so you basically have TV. <laughs> yeah, in a sense. I just don't have a physical TV itself. I just have my computer. <laughs> but yeah. Listen, that's, Prime again, TV that's... is my favorite service, okay? <laughs> the, literally, literally, like, now that we have smart TVs, all devices are the same. Pretty much, just in yeah. different shapes. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like, if, if you have a laptop, you have a TV. If you have a phone, you have a TV. Mm, yeah, in a sense, I guess. <laughs> They're all TVs. <laughs> in any case, uh, yeah. Uh, Jake at this point just plots to the bed, depressed, wondering about how Axe and Marco are probably being tortured and murdered right now, and how their fight against the Yerks is just over, since they can't obviously morph at all ever again with this thing dealing, uh, chasing them. 
And Jake's honestly a little bit relieved to not have to fight anymore. He's like, well, uh, we gave it a good shot, guys. Uh, you know, time to, time to, uh, turn, uh, trying to think of the phrase, uh, time to, like, call it in or whatever. <laughs> but yeah. But, uh, then the ghost of Marco's past barges in at, like, 10 a.m. scaring the shit out of him, joking about how he and the Bleak are dating now after it carried him off his feet. <laughs> because, of course, Marco has to do that when he just almost died again. And also he said that Jake's dad said that he could head out for a bit if he cleans the garage first, since apparently Jake's mom has been on Jake's dad's ass about this for a month or so to do, and he <laughs> just sees an opportunity to profit by making his kid do it instead, because his kid's already punished. So this, uh, Jake tells uh, Mark... Hmm? No, just, like, transitive chores is the worst. Yeah. <laughs> It's like, I don't want to do this, you do this. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yep. But yeah. Jake does tell Marco that he's glad he isn't dead, and to round up the gang while he goes to spend like three hours cleaning the garage, and for nobody to morph during this time. <laughs> Since obviously you know, I fun. don't know what this garage is like, but if I were to go into my parents' garage, it would take me a lot longer than three hours to clean it out. Yeah, That's probably. Like a three-day job, minimum. Yeah. So I don't know what Jake's doing in there, but... Just taking everything. I'm kind of imagining him just taking everything out and dumping it and not putting anything back. Yeah, yeah, he's just bringing it all out to the curb. It's like, this is all trash. <laughs> we're gonna have the. What do you we're gonna... mean? You wanted it cleaned out, it's empty now. Yeah, we're gonna give the, the garbage truck guys a lot of work to do. <laughs> just take all this shit. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, pretty short. That's an entire chapter. Then we just rolled into chapter 39, which has a Cassie chapter, which I uh, called probably the first poop joke, or at least that I can remember of. <laughs> uh, that just opened... Uh, yeah, there was it... an earlier one in this book. Yeah, I guess. Because but... Marco floated the baby Ruth bar in the pool, remember? Oh, right! <laughs> Again, uh, the, the timelines are converging, and I'm now remembering stuff. <laughs> well, that was only three weeks ago, but I guess it's confusing since we all went back in time. <laughs> yeah, by about two months. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oi. Uh, yeah. In any case, uh, that we open later on with Tobias being finally remembered that he exists in this book. Because <laughs> apparently he was just asleep during like the last 12 chapters or so, and he's annoyed that he missed everything. <laughs> <laughs> I get that they had to like be like, well, he wouldn't be useful at night because he can't see during the night. But it's like he could have still been there, at least just like running somebody's shoulder, trying to help the best he could or something. I don't know. But he's, well, he's here. There's again. nothing he can do in that scene though, because he can't morph, so he can't draw it away, and he can't fly into that thing. It would literally kill him, and he can't morph out to heal, and he can't see at night, and there's no thermals at night, and. <laughs> Yeah, I, it's the just, only thing he would do in that scene is die, and we it, don't want that. Yeah, it's it's just a little like he doesn't get to do a lot in this book, and that's the, that's disappointing, basically. Yeah, because like he's often he's like so often there, even if he's just doing recon for the rest of the group, and it's like just a bummer that he like shows up in like the early parts of this book, and then like is here for like the last couple chapters, and that's it. <laughs> Listen, we just gotta wait for the space wizard to do his thing. Okay? <laughs> it hasn't happened yet, not even in our time. Like, just, just give us some time. Tobias will become yeah, more useful. Yeah. Come, later. come on, Space Gandalf, get, get on this shit. 
Yeah, I, I, I mean, even without you saying that, I kind of thought that that might be where things go. Anyway, <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, you introduce space wizards; it's like they kind of are gonna have to do something at some point. Well, I mean, I already, <laughs> I already spoiled this for you because you, you said that you knew that that Tobias regained the ability to morph, and then I said space wizard. And then we now we know who the yeah, space wizard is. So, yeah, true. Yeah. But there might be more space wizards. It might just not be... I almost said Elfangor. That's not the space wizard. He's dead. Uh... Well, I mean, you know the, you're the right, though, the guy. because there were five members of the White Council, because you had Saruman and Gandalf and Radagast and the two oh, blue wizards who up. were all on the other continents. <laughs> and... We're... I've, Kate's angling for like a Babylon 5 rewatch podcast after this. I feel like you've been angling for a Lord of the Rings podcast after this. <laughs> <laughs> would, would, it, would it surprise you to know there's a space Gandalf in Babylon 5 too? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, Babylon 5 is in many ways also a Lord of the Rings retelling. <laughs> Great, cool. <laughs> I feel like just, you complicate things as soon as you introduce space wizards, though, is the thing. Especially because the space wizard hasn't done anything since the one book where he was like, "Oh, do you want to go to the to the safe haven planet?" Oh, just kidding! I wasn't actually going to bring you there. (laughs) That's because you do not yet understand the importance of the space wizard. Uh, Evidently, he was in one book so far, and they never brought him up since. (laughs) Just wait. It's a big thing. It's like a big overarching thing. We're only on book ten in our timeline. Book 7.5 now. Yeah, and, and it's yeah. like every... No, this is eight and a half. <laughs> but like, the thing is that, again, like, everything seven that I always bring up, it's like... I thought this was eight and a half. Nope. No, seven and a half. Oh, no, whatever. Yeah. Boy, time travel really did a number on you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, every time I just bring something up, it's always just like, don't worry about it, Vi, well, this will be important in three years. <laughs> just don't worry about it, just wait. <laughs> <laughs> like yeah, I'm not the very patient person. <laughs> it's a long series with like a, lo- a long overarching plot. So yeah. let's keep going. Yeah. Besides, we've seen him twice so far. <laughs> yeah. In any case, uh, Marco at this point makes a joke about how the Valique was just not interested in Tobias's fried bird legs, so Tobias asks him if he can get range to be just shit on by him. And uh, everybody but Cassie laughs at this point because she's just feeling too guilty about having done nothing to intercede on Marco's behalf when the elite descended upon them and took him out of all of them. <laughs> Jake surmises what they know about how the Valique and how it's seemingly unbeatable. Because again, we have to recap stuff. <laughs> just being like, okay, this is what this thing does. But Cassie points out its weakness of not being able to lift heavy things and how water was used to control it based on what Marco and Max had seen on the ship. I don't know. But yeah, but uh, Cassie's plan is that uh, it has to be her who carries it out, uh, but we don't get to hear what the plan is just yet. But yeah, Cassie insists it has to be her because she wants to make it up to Marco for not helping him earlier, because even though he's laughing through his PTSD, she still feels like a coward for just sitting by and letting him presumably be taken <laughs> off and being killed. And Rachel points out that Cassie has been in every fight that the others have, so she's not a coward, but... Cassie won't be deterred and reminds them all that she's the best morpher of them all and get a grip on a new morph the quickest. I feel like there's been times where she hasn't, but sure. <laughs> uh, Jake eventually agrees to this idea and they all head off to the beach to carry out the plan. <laughs> I mean, yeah, right. none of them got the dolphin. They're just kind of... <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah, no, they all were just like, let's fuck around as dolphins for 45 minutes. <laughs> or whatever it was. Tobias being like, yo, what the fuck, guys? <laughs> yeah. That brings into my last chapter, which uh, is the Tobias chapter. He finally gets another one in this book, which I called uh, basically just three paragraphs for our trans bird friend. <laughs> <laughs> this, this, there's like nothing that really goes on in this he opens with talking about thermal so ding uh ding. yeah he feels embarrassed still about having missed everything yet it's cassie who feels like a coward so he's like eh, it's interesting that that's how that's working uh he's doing his best to fly over the ocean because it like thermal so ding again as he carries mm-hmm. out his part of this planning stage where he's looking for something that even his hawkeyes would be able to see through the water and he finally spots a water spout closer to shore than where he currently was. So he heads back to the others to report that he had found the whale for Cassie. And that's it for him. Good checking in with us, Tobias. <laughs> that's his old chapter. Catch you later, buddy. See you in the next yep. book. <laughs> At least he actually has a decent role in the next book. Yeah, with Axe. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't do anything in this book, really. He doesn't get to do much. All right, chapter 41, I've called Steppin' on the Beach. Uh, <laughs> so, it's narrated by Cassie, and uh, it opens up with Marco insulting some people's bodies. Um, but he's making a joke, and he's making a joke specifically because he wants to make Cassie feel better. Um, he feels responsible for her feeling bad, and, uh, you know, he already told her that, uh, but and she said thanks, but... But she still feels bad, uh, and Marco doesn't know how to deal with that, so he's making jokes. And Cassie is surmising all of this because she is very, very good at reading people. <laughs> um, Jake is very tense, and uh, th- at that point, uh, Tobias gets back, and he's found a whale. Um, Jake says that Cassie doesn't have to do this if she doesn't want to. The force of the impact could be dangerous to her. Uh, and, uh, he also says lamely that the, maybe the Valique isn't around anymore, which, like, obviously it's still, um, <laughs> it just and, left, uh, who knows? Yeah. And then Cassie says, uh, I'm going in, um, cause she's doing it anyway. And, uh, Rachel says, uh, that she could do it, but Cassie says, no, you can't because this is like three morphs in a row that's six full changes, um, and one of them is completely new uh the best person for the job is her because she's the best at morphing and jake agrees um so you know that's that's jake being the 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 fearless leader having to make decisions that could put uh people he really cares about in danger um about so jake at that, that point, he definitely trusts his people but he also desperately doesn't want to trust his people <laughs> yeah yeah he very much does not want to trust his people because he does not want them to die mm-hmm. and he knows that he needs to make those decisions uh that could get people killed uh and that it will haunt him if it does but if i can't trust them then i then they can't do the mission so i don't have to make the decisions it's all good <laughs> Yeah, if I just get all my friends killed, then I don't have to put them into scary situations anymore. Win-win. That is not. That's. That, I don't think that's what what, what what Patch was saying. I think not at all. Like Jake doesn't want to. Um, Jake doesn't want to trust his friends to be able to do the things they need to do to to like endanger themselves because that way they won't have to endanger themselves. Um, yeah, exactly. It's like if you assume incompetence, then they cannot fulfill the mission so why even do it yeah yeah exactly um so uh 
Tobias says that he found a whale and um, that uh, the bleak is indeed coming. So it's time to go ahead and, and get and get uh, and get morphed. Uh, Cassie is morphing dolphin um, continuously in order to draw the bleak in. Uh, at this point, she's she's kind of like a half half dolphin monstrosity. Um, she rolls onto her side, looks up, and looks up because at this point her eyes are on the sides of her head, and she sees the Valique above. So, uh, it's not coming closer, though, and the rest of them are also morphing dolphin, um, because it doesn't like the water. So, uh, she, they're, they're safe for now. So they go off to find a whale, and they do, on echolocation. They find the whale, and the whale is, um, a, capable of that limited communication that we saw in Cassie's previous book. Uh, it says little ones, and then it says there's a strange cloud above, uh, which, yeah, there is. Uh, so at that point, um, Cassie says uh, that she's going to go ahead and, and acquire the whale. So she's going to, she asks the whale not to dive because dolphins can talk to whales. Right, right. Uh, which that's I, established. Which I still, there's still so much going on with the dolphins and whale stuff from book four that I just don't understand. <laughs> Well, you it's never normal. will. It doesn't ever get explained. <laughs> well, I mean, it's yeah, because ancient... how could we explain it even in the 2020s? <laughs> it's an ancient pseudo-mystical connection that's beyond language and exists primarily phenomenologically, uh, <laughs> and that it's impossible for humans to really understand unless you turn into a dolphin. I'm, I'm trying so, to remember if there's ever uh... a point in one of the Echo the Dolphin games where you talk to a whale, and I don't think so. <laughs> um. Well, guess what? Mm-hmm. Echo the Dolphin is not an encyclopedia. Well, no. Uh, sort of <laughs> I mean, repository of information about dolphins and their behavior. I, I barely even remember the original game or the first few. I just only remember the shitty Dreamcast one where you're dealing with other multiple timeline stuff of like, here's where the aliens win, here's where the humans win, here's where the dolphins win and make giant floating water bubbles that are also it's racist. Fine, it's fine, it's fine. <laughs> listen, listen, it's fine. Dolphins and whales can talk to each other because of pseudo-mystical whale magic. It's fine. <laughs> Yeah, it's um, fun. I mean, listen, so, I live in San Antonio. I'll just go over to SeaWorld and ask the dolphins what they think. <laughs> hey guys, what's up? I have a podcast about animals, so I have to ask you some questions. It's like, and the dolphins just like, ah, uh, this shit again. Everybody else is about the fucking books. <laughs> Everybody else is about that fucking shit. <laughs> okay, so uh, you know, you'll 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 be. I think that I don't think you'll be the one laughing when the the aliens come to talk to the humpback whales. <laughs> um, so, in real life uh, or in animorphs? Uh, no, in Star Trek. Uh, well, I mean, so go back in time to steal some whales because you killed them. Yeah, you have to uh, the, listen. The whales show the, the aliens show up, talk to the whales, and then it turns out there aren't any whales anymore. So you have to go back in time to steal some whales and then bring them forward in time oh, to talk to the boy. aliens. Like I said, uh, and it's it, okay. There's you, can, time, you can tell it, people you're a time traveler. There's times I really wish <laughs> yeah. we had a visual component of this because I'm just like leaning on the side of my chair, rubbing my temple a bit. <laughs> Star Trek Star Trek IV is the best Star Trek original series Star Trek movie. Agreed. No one will change my mind about that. Um, so, uh, yeah. So Cassie uh, acquires the whale. Uh, she feels guilty about it because she didn't ask for permission, but she's gonna do it anyway because they're in danger. So uh, she starts morphing. Uh, oh, back to human. Um, oh, she's already a human. Never mind. She just acquired the guy. Uh, so, sorry, one second. Uh, yeah, so she's done, and now she's gonna start morphing. Uh, the whale because the Valique is directly above. Yeah, she morphs the whale later. 
Not right now. Oh, yeah, so she works well later. Sorry, yeah. No, so chapter 42. Narrated by Tobias. I've called this bombs away. And in fact, it, it is important uh, that she does not more immediately morph the will because what she morphs next is Cockroach. She morphs Cockroach so that Tobias can pick her up and take her up as far as he can into the air. Uh, and this is not really Tobias's favorite kind of flying because hawks are not really good at gaining altitude over the ocean. Uh, they, they're not like geese. They can't just power fly. Um, so this is tiring for him, and uh, Cassie is currently on him as a cockroach. Tobias is checking on her, asking her if she's hanging in there. She says she's fine, asks if the Bleak is following them, and Tobias says that the others are keeping the Bleak distracted by doing partial morphs in the water. Um, also, good good, uh, good fortune for Cassie not getting eaten by a fish while wiggling around in the water as a bug. <laughs> huh. Yeah, exactly. Well, probably, 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 maybe the fish were scared away by the dolphins. Um, or the whale. So, so Tobias... Uh, has at a certain point gotten as much altitude as he possibly can. Before that, though, uh, Cassie and him have a conversation about fear. Uh, Cassie asks if Tobias is ever afraid, and Tobias says, yeah, obviously, all the time. <laughs> uh, I'm a hawk. There's so many things <laughs> that want to eat me, and also, yurks. <laughs> she asks how he handles it, and he says, I don't. I just kind of, I'm afraid, and then I do his stuff anyway. Um, so that's not very comforting. But, <laughs> uh, Cassie asks, Tobi asks Tobias to, uh, if she doesn't make it, uh, tell Jake to tell her parents what happened once everything is safe, once it's safe to do so, uh, that Jake should tell Cassie's parents what happened to her. Um, but not what happened to his truck. Let's <laughs> keep that just kind of between, between the Animorphs. Um, and at that point, Tobias reaches the limit of how high he can go, and then Cassie uh, jumps off of Tobias and starts morphing back to human in the middle of the air. And as she does, Tobias looks at this and thinks about how absurd it is that this girl thinks she's a coward. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've called Chapter 43 Extreme Skydiving. Uh... Cassie's falling. She's nearly blind until she does grow her human eyes, and then she can see just everything around her, just the endless blue ocean, as far as the eye can see. Um, but she knows that if she hits that too fast, she's gonna die. So, uh, behind her, uh, coming up, the Valique, uh, it senses the morphing energy from her transforming back to human. Um, She's tired from, from morphing over and over again, because that shit's exhausting. So she's <laughs> concentrating on the changes, but they're happening very slowly. The Valique sort of, like, puts out these dust ropes that it uses to, to grab people, and it wraps around her. Um, she barely has the strength to morph at this point. Uh, and as she does, she can feel the, the whale's instincts welling up, and she reaches out to them for strength. Uh, chapter 44 is our last one. It's narrated by Rachel, and I've called it the part of the monster movie where the monster dies because of a cunning plan by the main characters. <laughs> Spoilers for this uh, book's ending. <laughs> so, at this point, uh, we go back to Rachel, and she's a dolphin in the water with the rest of them, and she can't see Cassie at first, but it, then there's like a, a small little dot as the cockroach starts to grow, and she can see just barely see her up there. The Valique shudders, goes on after her, 
uh, she asks if they should keep trying to keep the Valique interested, and Jake says, no, it's up to Cassie now, and then Rachel's like, oh, well, what a, what a difficult decision to make. But, like... Yeah, yeah, that was already your plan. <laughs> yeah, well, if they, and if they keep calling the Valique, and, and, like, Cassie's morphing in midair, she's gonna die when she hits the water. Yeah. yeah. The Valique uh-huh. is what's gonna save her life. <laughs> Very appropriate that I was just thinking of the whale falling from Hitchhiker's Guide movie. <laughs> I just don't notice the, the whale uh... leaves like an atomic bomb cloud in this gift too. <laughs> but the thing is, is that when you drop a whale from orbit, it's gonna hit really hard and do a lot of damage. Yeah, but I don't yeah. think it leaves an atomic bomb cloud. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think uh, it would. You mean you mean a mushroom cloud? Yeah, That's mushroom just what cloud. happens when explosions are big sure. enough. <laughs> um, so, okay, so yeah, um, Marco is is hoping that the the Valique will slow her down. Um, and when the Valique is wrapping around her, Rachel can see that she's all she's already sprouting the flukes of a humpback whale. Um, and uh, Marco says that he notices that it's falling faster and this is what they want because this means the bleak is not going to be able to rise so they fall like a rock which like uh that would make me nervous because i feel like uh you know whales are big and heavy and if they fall too fast that's not gonna be good for cassie (laughs) but it turns out it's fine uh tornado hits the water uh the bleak is down in the water and um at that point, it's gone. It's just washed away. It's dead. Um, then exploding away from the Valique uh, is Cassie as the whale charging down in the water. And they call out to her to see if she's all right. And there's a sort of pregnant pause uh, where we're like, oh, no, we don't know if Cassie's alive or not. And then Cassie's like, haha, yeah, take that. Uh, so it turns out she's alive. Uh, and they all celebrate that the Valique is dead. Um... And then there, Cassie sings out the song of a humpback whale, and people ask her what it means, and she says there's no word for it, but if there was, it would be hope. And that's the end of the book. That's Yay. it. That's all. We're done. <laughs> it's just like a monster movie in that the monster dies and credits instantly roll. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. There's no like, wow, that was crazy, guys, but we did it. Yeah, pose for the camera kind of deal. <laughs> okay. This this <sighs> book, I I, of course of course if we were to have to go back in time and then redo a an episode, it would have to be this book. I don't like it. No, that's I like, fair. I mean, I like it, but I don't like Me- it. Megamorphs is just strange, and I think it's just because you don't get any time with one character for like a long period of time. Because like, oh, wait wait and wait until you you see the other Megamorphs before before okay. talking about. I, I, all yeah. I think it's also just but, like, like the. For- in this I think one. it's also just the formatting. Like, there's multiple times of like, okay, well this thing happened. Let's rewind for a few chapters and see mm-hmm. the same thing from a different person's perspective. And it's like we really don't need that. I feel it's, well, you don't need that as much kind of deal. And also like the fact that it's just them being like, how do we fight this one monster? <laughs> Not even really about the Yorks. Hey. This one is pretty strange in that it's like, I mean, okay, yes, the the jumping around format is new. I think she's just figuring out, but it's also to some degree like 
so much of this book is wrapped up in shenanigans that they don't have time to actually worry about the monster, if that makes sense. Mm. And I know the monster is running around all the time, but, like, this was the end. This was the final fight, and it it was, like, four one-page chapters to lead us into a plan. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. Then the plan um, is carried out in the span of a few pages. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so overall, because this is the last episode of the book, and oh, I guess we should talk about what we thought of the book in general. Um, it's a little bit weird because we just just like reread the last part of the book without going. I I didn't go back and read the rest of it yeah. <laughs> uh, again. So I like in retrospective, it it, it it's a it's a um it's an all right book. It's 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 just a monster movie basically. It's just a creature feature. It doesn't really do much for the characters. It's a fun ride for some of it, and then that's about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think of this book very much in the same way that I would think about a dumb, goofy action movie. Like this is mm -hmm. yeah, I was this I, is Terminator Three. Is I was, what it is. I was just yeah. I was just thinking yeah. about it as a weird comparison. This is like the fucking MCU Avengers movie compared to the other individual movies about one character kind of deal. Like here's a here's bit. here's everyone's perspective dealing with just a big threat. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Um, so the Quantum Tachyon watch that I bought <laughs> at the space thrift store uh, is about to count down, and I'm about to be well, zapped back to my own time. So Okay, so real um, quick, we do have a little bit of wrap-up to do. Uh, in okay. this book, we had five thermal dings for a total of 37 thermal dings, so we're getting <laughs> there. And we also had two Don't Call Me Prince dings in... No, I'm sorry. We have two total Don't Call Me Prince dings. There were none in this book. Uh, Rachel kind of leads our kill count. Jake is technically in first place, but I'm not even really counting him anymore. Uh, yeah, Rachel is sitting still... at 11.25 for a solid second place. When, when do these kids have to like blow up an entire like city's worth of Yurks to catch up to you, Jake, at this point? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. And of course, Visser Three is in second, second place, second, second place with nine point five. <laughs> <laughs> second, second place, also known as third place. <laughs> well, not if you don't count first. <laughs> but yes, um, yeah, that, that's that's pretty much it. I enjoy this book. It's definitely not as ridiculous as some of the Animorphs books, and it's definitely not as good as some of the Animorphs books, so it kind of falls into a weird spot, but ultimately, I think it's a good time. I do not mind that we came back and had to redo it. There are definitely worse books that we could have had to redo. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I should be more grateful. Um, so, anyone, anything else anyone wants to say? Uh, well, you know, I think bearing in mind that it's still two more weeks until we find out what Zero did, <laughs> <laughs> there's not much left to say, but remember, Zero did nothing wrong. I've come back in time to tell you something very important. Now listen, listen, Zero did nothing wrong. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, I guess, I guess Kate, uh, yeah, <laughs> I don't think you, I don't think if you transport back, you can actually say that you just transported back. <laughs> It's an echo through time. I'm in the time vortex right now, and you can still hear me. I'm gone now. Uh, she, she's gone to the end of time. Uh, we need to get the get back and bring bring her back. Uh, yeah, no. Mm. Uh, for now, Zero still did nothing wrong. <laughs>